The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear a brilliant marketer talk through the strategy, framework, and tactics used to elevate their brands to new heights. Ready to hear untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the Rebrand Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast. As you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. And today we're going to hear about how empathy-based marketing can increase engagement and help brands resonate with their audience on a deeper level. I'm super excited today. We've got a great guest, Emily Lyman who's the CEO at Branch and Bramble, which is a digital marketing agency for lifestyle brands, working with industry leaders like Paramount, Patagonia, and Penguin Random House. They're an award-winning agency that combines data and creativity to develop out-of-the-box marketing programs that convert. I always love hearing like the agency's elevator pitch because I always struggle with mine. Emily and I yesterday talked about all things Patagonia, all things empathy-based marketing, and we talked a lot about consumer values, which is freaking fascinating. I want to dive more into that. I want to dive more into Patagonia and how they're increasing even little things like a lot of channel marketers out there. You know, how are we going to get more engagement, right? Who doesn't want more engagement, especially on social? I mean, that is the metric. Are you resonating? We also are going to talk about influencers and we're going to talk about why influencers are becoming racehorse owners. This is a very interesting topic. I want to dive into that. But let's bring Emily Lyman right back, CEO of Branch and Ramble. All right. I, I mean, you nailed it at the very end, but I want to talk more about Patagonia and I want to talk more about your process for finding consumer values. And, and I know we're marketers, so we have a ton of little buzzwords and acronyms and stupid shit that we say that sounds really smart. And, and then it trends, then everyone's saying the same thing. But I, I do want to understand, is there one human truth that can come out of consumer values, competitors' consumer values, and your own consumer values? Is it still creating like a brand platform or based on a human truth? Or is that more old school? Like, help me understand, again, your process through coming up with strategies. And is campaign to campaign Does it need to be more tied back to the brand at all touch points? Or can it be in specific channels? And is that human truth thing that unites multiple customers and values together, you know, maybe too simplistic way of looking at, at brand marketing. And then my second crazy question before I forget it, and I just like lay everything on the table because I'm curious mind. We've seen a lot of polarization politically from brands. And I do think it's accidentally happening from some of the process in which you're talking about in terms of understanding people's values. And I think political people are understanding people's values and it, it is being polarized. I think Patagonia is a brand that has avoided that at so many levels, but also very understanding of who their customer is and, and what they want and how to express that content and those products to them. So I, I do want to touch on that without being super political because I, I do think it's interesting. 
<laughs> Those are a lot of questions. I'm going to take the polarization first because Patagonia, I wouldn't say they've avoided the polarization, but they've been insulated from it a little bit because they've always been very clear about where they stand on all issues, right? Political, non-political. And they are, I would say, one of the very few companies that I have had the pleasure of working with throughout my career that actually walks the walk, right? So I would, I would say that. And kind of then getting back to your, you know, is there this united kind of value system that, that unites us all? There is something called the togetherness cluster. It consists of four values that are always represented in some way, shape, or form across every single consumer group, across every type of brand family, relationships, community, belonging. And no matter how important those are, those are always present. But I will say that it, it's not that simple and you can't just say, okay, let's all have all brands talk about this. There is still that differentiation that brands need to bring to the table. And the difference is, is that they just need to talk about it in a very specific way. And I'm going to pause there. I'm, I just want to keep letting you talk and me shutting up because you <laughs> say way smarter shit than I would say, but I need to, I guess, keep it going a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to be like a little new brand marketer, which maybe I am like Snickers, right? Like Snickers was just like, you need a freaking break. You need a break in your day. Here's a freaking great candy bar. Like, that's it. Go daddy's like, you need a website URL, URL, like that's it. You know what I mean? Like, and then you have other brands like Ford. It's like, this is who we are. You know, we're probably going to be. 80% Republican, you know, sorry, we don't give a shit like that. That's who it is. Or Subaru is like, if you like nature and you like the environment, this is who we are. Take it or freaking leave it. You know what I mean? Or, and I, I see more polarization of brands today that, that have this deeper, more fandom, fanatical kind of cult following. And then there's other brands that are like, we're fries, come shop here. Like yeah. whatever, we're Walmart, we're low priced. Like, more simplistic, like they're not going to get into anything. So I, I guess I'm curious from your perspective, I guess it depends on where your position is. If, if you're going to be part of those, what four you talked about be a little more simplistic or you're going for the fandom or your brands like Patagonia and Yeti who are geniuses to where, okay, maybe, you know, you're going to have like a freaking right wing Republican from like rural Florida that, you know, is wearing a Patagonia jacket, but cares about the environment. I think that's what fascinates me is brands that have the crossover politically. And I don't think of branding and marketing politically, but I know it exists. And so I think it's fascinating, especially as things become more polarizing, especially in media and in politics and, and certain brands. So I'm, I'm curious, like brands like Patagonia, brands like Yeti, that have that kind of crossover, it sounds like they really are diving deep into these kind of consumer values and then their brand can be more strong, unapologetic and consistent. So that's, I don't know, that's what I want to dive into, but I don't know how. So maybe you can help me. please. Yeah. And, and I would say too, that it's a matter of, I don't know, this is, might not be a great example, but you have kind of single policy voters. Yes. So if you take that to kind of as an analogy for consumers on some level, Again, it all goes back to what is their value graphic makeup? Because if that person, you know, that Republican in Florida who's wearing his Patagonian, he's proud of it. He values personal responsibility. So he values the environment. That might be the, the most important value slash policy that he holds dear. And so that is the brand's 
should be the brand's driving mission is what are those four to five core values that our consumers rank as most important in their lives, right? Because a consumer is going to emotionally unsubscribe before they physically unsubscribe. So in order to kind of increase conversion, you need to increase that connection. And you do that then by, and this is kind of looking at kind of four, four elements, emotion, values, story, and action. And when you take all of those together as a brand and you marry what your brand is saying with those underlying values, that's where the gold is at. That's how Patagonia can keep doing what they're doing. Because in all four of those areas, they are super, super strong. They know how to connect their messaging with their consumers' emotions. They know how to speak to their values. They know what story they're telling. They know the brand story that they're telling. And then the action is they know how to drive their consumers to action, what actions to ask for. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, but. Just keep talking. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, my, my brain is turning and I'm imagining a, a, a totally different brand workshop that I would run knowing what I know now talking to you like truthfully it's definitely I'm having a moment so give me those again so I understand what you're saying now so you're going through and ranking your consumers top values and then putting purpose and story together with those what were those again so emotion so does your messaging connect with your consumers emotions or does it just rely on logic and rationality right so this is the difference between saying This new Subaru has top-of-the-line safety features versus keep your family safe this summer in a Subaru. Mm. So Mm. it needs to have logic and data, but it needs to be combined with emotion. Mm. It's so hard. I mean, even even ad agencies, right? Like, this is a stupid example, but our websites are all like, we do this and we do that. And it's like, we're in the business. And then we start doing it for ourselves, and and then we can't help ourselves as humans. Hey, I Uh, can... I can do this great for my clients. I guarantee you there are holes on our website for agency for website. Yeah, but, but just by, <laughs> we've even been successful in other B2B categories by just flipping the messaging from us to you. Here's what we do for you. Here's how we help you. Here's how we serve you. Here's what we do for people right. like you. You, 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 not me, 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 or us, 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 us. So that, I mean, that, that makes sense. Okay, so on the emotion side, that was one. And then values. Values. So that's just right. What we've been talking about is your target yeah. persona clearly identified. Are you speaking to their values? Yeah. This is the, so I'm going to go with a beauty example here. Like, are you sending me an email about a 52 color eyeshadow palette when I only want to spend five minutes on my makeup routine? Like I value my time. You're not selling me that right story. So whose story are you telling, right? Is your messaging focused on the customer or the brand? This looks like we've won an award for innovative excellence. So buy our robotic vacuum cleaner now versus spend more time with your family, less time cleaning, learn more about our award-winning robo vacuum. And then like action, you know, you kind of have to, how do you provide clear next steps for your customer to take wherever they're finding you? Those are the four. What was after story? (laughs) Action. Action. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and this is why I had someone on the podcast that really talked about the scarcity models, which like, like Nike, right? Like I'm on Nike's app and like, when are they going to do a shoe drop? And I'm like, okay, or maybe I'll get one, maybe not. You know, the scarcity, I think it is really cool. Okay. This is the challenge that I want to give all brands. 
And that is you have the information that you need to figure out your customer's values. As long as you're looking at that information with the goal in mind to find those emerging patterns, right? So looking at customer surveys, asking them questions in your surveys, like why they go to work every day. Why would you give away half of your lottery winnings? It doesn't have to be brand focused, but go to where your consumers are and just sit and listen. Don't talk. Don't, you know, make it about you. Just listen to what they talk about, what's top of mind. What do they say on their customer service calls? Has any marketer actually listened in on customer service calls? Like that's wealth of information, right? So you have all of this information and you can start, once you take that list of 56 core graphics, you can start to identify the patterns that you are hearing and seeing in what your consumers are saying, not just about your product, but about life in general. Then you can really look and see what they value. Then it's like a domino effect. Let's dovetail into influencers so we can actually say we hit the topic a little bit. But <laughs> okay. I mean, so what, you know, why are influencers becoming race refined? I, I, I got to tell you, I, I hate to admit it. I, I, I watched the Jake Paul documentary on Netflix. It was freaking fascinating to see he and his brother, how they started creating YouTube videos in their basement, like in the Midwest and how they think about story and brand and their values of their fans. And now how they basically just develop products like prime for their fans. I, I, I think that's why influencers, I think have a leg up in terms of anybody else, media companies and brands, cause they have fandom and they have audience and they really understand video by video, content by content, what they need to provide that audience to be successful. So owning a brand or being part of a brand or being an investor in a brand or being a spokesperson in a brand, just, it makes all the sense in the world. That's why it makes sense. You know, all the execution in terms of influencer marketing, we can all talk about the pains and the headaches and the <laughs> craziness of it, but why are they getting into racehorses and, and maybe just your take on influencer marketing and maybe just your thoughts on the whole industry, which is such a big part of our industry today. Yeah. I think influencer marketing is undergoing a lot of shifts especially with the study I just read, 81% no longer trust influencers completely, right? So there's a lot of that. Oh, we should be calling them content creators. I forgot. No, 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 no. No, we shouldn't. Oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because there's there are two different, right? There's influencers and then there's content creators. So there's two different segments and it really depends on what your brand is looking to do. Content creators, I think, have a huge leg up on influencers as that shift is happening. But yeah. I'm sorry, but there's not, I, I gotta, I, I've agreed with everything you've said, but there is not one influencer that doesn't want to be called a content creator. I agree with you on that. Okay. So who are the influencers then? Okay. I would say the influencers, actually, I can take the descriptions here from, Okay, why are influencers getting into racehorsing? We work with the Jockey Club and their marketing arm, America's Best Racing. There's a lot of bad press with the horse racing industry, right? Certain trainers have caught drug scandals, unexplained horse deaths. But we work with the Jockey Club and America's Best Racing. They're pioneers in making the sport safer for all their athletes. So we had to come up with this campaign to how do we showcase the good actors in the sport, right? How do we showcase all of the love and attention and care that is going into these equine athletes? All right, so that's a little snippet. But we have influencers. We worked with the top owners, top racehorse owners in the U.S., and we said, hey, can we have just like 
2% of your racehorse. And of course, they're like, yeah, but 2% of a potential Kentucky Derby winner is not insignificant. We're like, no, 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 just get, just trust us. So they gave us 2% and we gave that 2% to influencers and content creators to just have. They now own racehorses, okay? All right. We included like Ian Rappaport, NSL Network Insider, right? Four million followers on X. Trusted dude too. People trust him. Yeah. Trusted. He is an influencer. Not a not a content creator. Not a content creator. Okay, this is I knew you were gonna bring it back and slap me in the face. (laughs) But he creates content. I mean he does. But again, it, I think it's how we define content creator in the market influencer marketing space. Are celebrities content creators or influencers? I would title them as celebrities. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would almost say like that's a wholly different. Yeah. Um, okay. But Ian's, his trusted nature, his, the reason his audience trusts him comes back to his position within an industry, Right. I would, you would, or you can yeah, disagree. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No. He, right. And he's, he's, he, yeah. Like I'm, I'm a sports fan. So, you know, yeah. Right. He, he's trusted. I'm like, yeah, that, that guy, when he says something, you're like, that's true. He's a, he's exactly. like an old school, you know, legit, like Walter Cronkite reporter just for sports. Yes. So now we also gave 2% ownership to Sarah Klein. Now Sarah Klein has over half a million followers on TikTok. And she just creates content. Her videos are not tied to a certain industry. They're not tied to a specific position or job or how she leverages the information that she gets with her job out there. She creates really compelling stories. She creates videos. She creates reels, etc. And her whole goal at cre- and when she starts with it is, how can I make this interesting for my followers? This is not my, I'm not opining. I am creating something from scratch. I'm a big believer and, you know, I've been on record. I, I love influencers, celebrities, content creators as owners of brands and a part of a number of startups. And I always create a cap table for this type of opportunity. It sounds like you've done. It could be an interesting conversation, both convincing investors to cut people in and also then convincing celebrities and influencers to be trusted in to the brand. Like it's quite the new marketing sales challenge that we have. Is there any insight or advice you would give brand marketers as we look at these kind of opportunities? And this could be media companies for equity. This could be influencers, celebrities, content creators, whoever, sports partners. I, I do believe that, you know, more and more people want to be on it. Like, like look at the new Barstool deal, right? We're pinned on Barstool. Now they're part of ESPN. I do think it makes sense, but how do you get both sides together? What's the reason behind it? Maybe any thoughts that you have working for some pretty big brands? Yeah, I think you have to go back to the values. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, if, if the values line up, you're like, this makes sense for my audience. This makes sense for me. And I'm getting paid to do it on top of it. Boom. Right. So Ian Rappaport, Joy Molinaro, speaking of, you know, former Barstool Sports contributor, what do all three of those have in common? They themselves value experiences Mm -hmm. and horse racing is a thrill Mm -hmm. and an experience and therefore their audiences value that. That was what we needed to tempt them to come to racehorsing. Racehorsing, we were like, hey, you want to reach a younger audience. You want to, here are the numbers. We can prove the numbers that, and that's how we brought them to the table. 
and their own values, right? They want to stand apart from others. They value financial security. So, right, as racehorse owners, so they want to bring more people to the sport, to bet more, to gamble more, increase that handle. So you marry those two. That's freaking badass. Okay, that was awesome. <laughs> I, I think you're going to do very well in your ad agency career. I, I think what brands are calling on us, and this is, this is maybe a small plug reset for our audience here at The Rebrand. I do this podcast because I want to learn more. And having people like you, like we're learning and we're having just pure marketing conversations to figure out what the F we're doing on a daily basis and probably a lot of um, validation and insight. So I think if I look at our values, I would say uh, from an audience perspective, I think it's, we are driven to get better at this craft of marketing. And so, man, thank you for coming on because I think I've learned a bunch. It's simplified things so much. And I hear so many terms that can and, you know, ad week and this and that. And at, at the end of the day though, but to boil down to what does your audience value and rank them and put campaigns around that. Then all the tactics and all the things and who hasn't got a question around why are we doing X, Y, and Z media percentage here or influencer percentage there. And if it's really value-based and you're matching that up, that just makes all the sense of the world. It almost, you know, this business needs to be more simple and we need to explain to our stakeholders, our CFOs and our CEOs and our boards and our partners and our clients, we need more simplicity. And I think visualizing this helped us a ton. Any other maybe tools or resources that you would recommend as we start to think about this strategy or I'm sure any other way that brands or people can engage you as well? Yes, I will give a shameless plug. We do have a free empathetic marketing ebook on our website. <laughs> I knew you were going to have one. Yes. <laughs> I got to wait. I got to lure you in. And then, and was then I, good. I was so good. <laughs> it's branchandbramble.com forward slash empathetic hyphen marketing. Cool. So it's a free ebook. It helps you. It talks about the four key tenants. It gives you our empathy scorecard so you can start to score your marketing communications. It has lots of other different great things to basically get you started with empathetic marketing immediately. And then, of course, if you want help, we are here. And it's branchandbramble.com forward slash. Empathetic hyphen marketing. When I pick my brand name, you think I would have picked one that's shorter. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we would get some SEO experts be like, all right, branch and bramble backslash EP or <laughs> EM or whatever. <laughs> long, but that's okay. And have one of these for relationships. <laughs> I can't. Oh, we'll work on it. We're, it's in the works. It's in the works. Oh, okay. Asking for a friend. Okay. Thanks for coming on. This was awesome branchandbramble.com. Big thanks to Emily, and I'm sure we'll see you soon. Great. Thanks, Scott. Everything you want is on rebrandpod.com. Episodes and guest information and put LinkedIn contact info and all that fun stuff. The big thing for us is just we want subscribers. If, if you want to be part of this marketing community, and we truly view it as a marketing community, subscribe. I'm hearing close to 7,000 today, which is, to me, the big KPI. is isn't downloads. It isn't like vanity metrics, rankings, although we, we have been consistently ranked top 50 in business, which is insane. But it's all for you guys and all from you guys. So just, I can't appreciate it enough. Again, our handle, or at least my handle, we're not doing rebrand, rebrand pod handle stuff. We're focused on podcasts. But you can find me. It's just at Scott Harkey pretty much anywhere. That's it for today. We're going to come right back. Uh, remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 